This morning we will continue our studies in 1 Peter. Last week we got up to about to verse 8. And it's what the main theme, as I have said, is that uh, Peter is telling them how to behave, how to live in the midst of a hostile, persecuting world. That he has authority, he is an apostle, and he is very well qualified to write this letter to them. Um, We went through Peter's qualifications, and we know that this was written by Peter, probably from Rome in about A.D. 63 or 64, and uh, it was written to the dispersion, combination of Jews and Gentiles. And we see that the all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned several times in here. God the Father foreknows us and elects us. God the Spirit sanctifies us, sets us apart. And God the Son sprinkles us with His blood. And then last week, we last couple of weeks, we've learned that it's still our duty to praise God even while we're under intense persecution. You are still to praise God. And you are also to uh, continue serving Him and rejoicing in Him. So even in bad times, times of persecution, we are to praise God and we are to rejoice in God because we know that these persecutions and trials that God sends them. And God sends them to us for His good. Alright. We covered verse through verse 7. And we uh, verse 7 in your notes says gives us the reason for their trials. And to compare this to the beginning of James's letter, their faith is tested for quality. These trials will see what their faith is made of, so to speak. Uh, These trials are going to result in giving God glory. And these things are going to be revealed to all when Jesus comes again. So that brings us up to verse 8. And um, have any any comments on anything up through verse 7? Alright, in verse 8, I will read that verse for us here. Though you have not seen Him, it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, Peter had seen Jesus. He was with Jesus from the very beginning of his earthly ministry. And he was with Jesus all the way up to the day Jesus ascended into heaven. And he was also there the day that Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on the new covenant church. Okay? So Peter, in your notes, who had seen Jesus' entire ministry, he tells the exiles here that they love Jesus. He is commending them because you haven't seen Him, but you still love Him, even though they've never seen Him. Now, Jesus here is keeping His promises. 
And let's look back to John chapter 14. I want to show you. I mean, it's so easy just to read read over this verse here. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. That's easy just to read over, but we're going to look unpack some of the stuff that's behind what He's saying here. Let's read John fourteen twelve. Mike. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Okay, Jesus is saying that He is going to the Father. He's talking about His ascension there. He's sitting down on the throne. And He says, the works that you do are going to be greater than the works I do. He said, in other words, you haven't seen anything yet. You wait till I go to the Father and see what happens. Alright, let's compare that with um, uh, uh, John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it, it is your, to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. The Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Okay, Jesus says it's to your advantage that I go away. You're at a disadvantage as long as I'm here with you. I'm holding you back. But when I go to the Father, I'm going to send you the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete. And He is going to enable you to do much greater works than I have done. Alright, you'll see where this is leading in a few minutes. Alright, so Jesus ascends to the Father. And now nobody sees Jesus anymore. Nobody sees Jesus. But, because He has gone to the Father, many Gentiles, in addition to some Jews, are coming into the kingdom. And these exiles are included. They haven't seen Jesus. Now, let's look at, let's go over a couple of pages and look at Acts chapter 1. I borrowed a lot of this from Richard Gaffin. And I thought this was just an amazing chapter in one of his books. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Who did I assign to read that? Okay. Um, one eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All right. So it's going to start in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He's telling the apostles, he's commissioning them to carry this message to the very end of the earth. Okay. Let's have Colossians 1. Let's look at Colossians 1. When everybody gets there, I will have Donna to read verses 5 and 6 for us. And uh, they, these sentences are kind of broken up, kind of funny. It's all one sentence in the Greek. So just start wherever it seems good for you to start. 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof we heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringing forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. Okay, he says, of this you have heard before, the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, in verse 6, as indeed in the whole world. So it's happened. What Jesus has told the apostles in Acts chapter 1 has happened. Now, it's what's so amazing about this is that if you go over to Acts chapter 2, there's 11 apostles and they become 12 with Matthias, and there's 120 disciples. Jesus tells these 11 apostles, and they're very weak at the time. He says, you carry my message to the very end of the earth. And they did. According to Paul, they did. All right? Does somebody have Romans 10, 18? Oh, wait, wait a minute. And... Uh, while we're in Colossians 1, read verse 23, also 9. Okay. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, and made a minister. It was proclaimed to every creature, or as the ESV says, all creation under heaven. This has been preached to all creation by the time Paul wrote Colossians. Alright, and then did I assign Romans 10, 18 to anybody? Okay. Kim, uh, if you'll read that for us, please. Romans 10, 18. But I demand, have they not heard? No doubt their sound went out through all the earth and their words into the ends of the world. Their voice has gone out to all the earth to the very ends of the world so as Richard Gaffin points out Acts leaves nothing hanging it's a complete book it starts out with Paul telling these 11 apostles that are probably shaking in their sandals at the time that you're to carry my word to the very ends of the earth that we see at the end of Acts that Paul is virtually at the very ends of the earth, and there he is sitting in this rented house, ministering to Jews and Gentiles. And then according to um, the apostles' later writings, what was commanded of them, what they were commissioned to do in Acts, they did perfectly. Acts is a completed book. It shows the church was 100% successful in carrying out the commission that Jesus gave them. Nothing needs to be added. As Richard Gaffin says, we don't need an Acts chapter 29. Now, it's what makes that so amazing is here these people are in all these distant places in the, dis in the dispersion. They haven't seen Jesus. But because of the success of the apostles, they still love Jesus because of that apostolic work they're here they love Jesus even though they have never seen him 
So it's amazing how 11 men that were scared, how it ends up what God has done with that. So Acts is a complete book, and we have places like this in this dispersion where people love Jesus, even though they've never seen him because of the work, their missions work. Okay, any comments on that? I don't know about you, but I've never heard about Acts being a completed book. You know, it sounds like it ends up hanging, like there does need to be an Acts 29. But I, I agree with Richard Gaffin. They did. They did it. They did it complete. I guess we find out what happened to Paul later. Yeah. whatever happened to him he had completed what he was supposed to do alright continuing in your notes this great work by the spirit through the apostle Peter brings them number one great joy that can't be expressed in language though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory it can't be expressed in words, the joy that they have. People should be able to look, look at us and say, there's, there's no way to express the joy at Reedy River Presbyterian Church. We are supposed to have joy inexpressible because of this great salvation. This great salvation that Peter has talked about. He says, in this you rejoice in verse 6. And by this, I believe it means the protective hand of God on the church during times of persecution. Great joy. And then we have full salvation, body and soul. The outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul, souls. When will we have our full salvation? Or do we already have it? That Christ's resurrection? Our resurrection. Our resurrection, okay. Yeah, there are there is a school of thought saying that we're already there, but I don't believe that's right. We our body, our souls have been redeemed. They've been renewed. But our bodies still remain unredeemed, and that's why we get old and die. But they will be redeemed on judgment day. Resurrection Day. And this should keep us going, knowing that the best is still ahead. All right, not seeing but believing is what's called walking by faith. You don't see Him, but you believe in Him, and you rejoice, and you obtain the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. They're, don't forget, they're undergoing tremendous persecution. They're losing jobs. They're being tortured, things of this sort. People are confiscating their property. Um, all because of their stand for Jesus. They're standing up for Jesus, as the song says. And they're losing everything on this earth. But and they haven't seen Jesus, they're willing to suffer, and because of this great and precious promises ahead, they can endure. They have these wonderful promises. So they can endure. As Clowney says, 
quote, hope in Christ points us beyond the trials, end of quote. So if we handle trials correctly, it strengthens our faith. But we have to keep our mind, our focus on what's ahead of us. Christians are people that live for the future in addition to living for the present. We have work to do now, but we know that the glory is coming. All right, any other comments on up through verse 9? Just in a sense of reality, Mike was asking for Eileen to have peace about her circumstances. She's going through tremendous physical trials. But if we have this sure hope of salvation, redemption, glorification, this life's a drop in the bucket. And we can face those things. And we all have our trials. Yeah. And uh, that's one great thing about our salvation. We can face things. I mean, if you're an unbeliever, how many times you ever hear an unbeliever comforting another unbeliever saying, it's going to be okay. <laughs> well, would you like to justify that everything's going to be okay? Only a Christian can justify that everything's going to be okay. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I think it's often overlooked also this concept of the, what the ESC calls the outcome of your faith, or it's also called the goal of your faith, the end of your faith, implying that Faith doesn't last forever. That's right. You know, the salvation comes at that at that point where everything is culminated and we're made perfect. We see Christ as He is. We don't need that anymore. So it's just a means to an end for us. Right. And um, I think that's really what's bringing out here too. This making that point. Yeah. Future aspect of that. Yeah. Hope is. So when we hear that these three are named faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I think, well, why is that? Probably because love lasts forever, hope, yep. and faith don't. Yeah. Because they're not needed anymore. They walk by sight. Yeah. You don't need faith or hope anymore. You'll be there. That's why That's why I like uh, South Carolina's license plate. And what is it, the state? Uh, like, don't Spiro Sparrow, as long as I breathe, I hope. Yeah. And the other part of that is if you're not breathing, you don't need hope because it's that's yeah, settled. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what a great salvation we have. It only gets better. Things will be tough, but we are to stand up for Jesus and cling to the promises. A crown before the cross. <clears throat> Excuse me, the cross before the crown, yes. Yeah, the cross before the crown. All right, anything else? Okay. Well, we are zipping right along now. We're going to go verses 10 through 12. Breakneck speed. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to have an, uh, Elaine, not Elaine, but um, Michelle. You read, what do you have, New King James? Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you read it. Listen to our translation. If you're reading an ESV, don't follow along in the ESV on this, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay, go ahead. 10 through, 10 through uh, 12. Okay. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully the prophecy of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what matter of time 
the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. All right, in verse 10, uh, 11, in verse 11, if you read in the ESV, it says, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, which really doesn't, isn't what the Greek says. It says, what or what time the Spirit of Christ is in them. They are not, they, are, they know the person. So I don't know why the ESV inserts person there. NASB has person too. What? NASB has person too. Seeking to know what person or time. Yeah, that's that's a bad translation too. Yeah. Um, because seeking what or what time is literally in the Greek. Okay. The ASV has searching what time or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in. Yeah, that's much better. But I think they knew who the person was. But anyway, we will go on. No translation is perfect. So it's better to use more than one. Okay. The, five things are talked about in this. Their salvation, the prophets, the Holy Spirit, and angels. Like I said, four things, right? <laughs> okay. All right, their salvation. Peter is going to tell them how precious this salvation is in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, and now he's going to show them how precious it is. He calls it this salvation. And the Old Testament prophets searched out and... Uh, sought out and searched out. This is what's called a compound intensive. It gives emphatic expression to the earnestness which enlightenment was sought. They sought very hard to try to find out what was coming and when it was coming. What and when. They worked hard at it. You remember, all right, now, <laughs> the, uh, they didn't like what they saw. <laughs> they didn't particularly like it. If you can put yourself in the prophet's sandals or whatever during that time, three things the prophets might not have liked um, about what they were proclaiming. Number one is that the Messiah would be put to death. Uh, yeah, you know, people were wanting that mighty warrior that would get rid of the Romans and all those good things and uh, have a king rule in Jerusalem. So the fact that the Messiah would be put to death probably did not sit very well with the prophets. Number two, through suffering, the Messiah would be glorified. How in the world can we have a Messiah that suffers? He's supposed to be a great king that goes out to conquer. 
<clears throat> and then number three, all this would bring salvation even to the Gentiles. Peter is going to tell them how precious this salvation is. It is called this salvation. Oh, um, also this great salvation is said to amaze angels. So the angels, the prophets sought it out diligently and the angels strained their necks to look into it. So it amazed angels. Okay, in the last part of verse 10, Peter states they were inquiring about new covenant grace, the grace which was theirs. This shows we've got to study the Old Testament, right? I would think so. The grace that they, the Old Testament prophets were prophesying about the grace that was to be yours. So do not throw out the Old Testament. And next, the Spirit of Christ was in the Old Covenant prophets, making clear what Christ would do. So Christ was informing them of what would happen to Christ. The Spirit of Christ was in them, telling them what was going to happen to Christ. Alright, what was revealed to them? This is something they would not expect. First of all, those three things that I've already mentioned. They were serving Gentiles in addition to Jews. They searched, they inquired, all of these things, and it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Um, if you have a King James, New King James, it may say us, but either way, it's the same thing. There's a textual difference there. But they were serving the people of this dispersion. Here we had Jewish prophets serving Gentile New Testament Christians. Jewish prophets were serving Gentiles in addition to the Jews, the people of the dispersion. And in my opinion, this verse alone would destroy dispensationalism. Jewish prophets were serving New Testament Gentiles. All right, let's turn to the book of Jonah. I want to bring this out to you because this is another one of those verses that you might read over and not even hardly think about it. All right, so in Jonah 1.1, we see who Jonah is. He's a prophet. And he's called by God. God says in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He says, No way, God. There, there's no way. I'm not going to those Gentile dogs. Forget it. And then we know what, what the Lord did. The Lord sent that storm. Uh, verse 2 and 3. Jonah 1, the first three verses. Yeah, that would be his call. Not going to the Gentiles. And then we read later in there that uh, 
in verse 10 through 12, Then the men, that is the sailors, were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Jehovah because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. He would rather die than go to Nineveh. He didn't say take me back to port or anything. He said, kill me. I'd rather die than go to the Gentiles. Alright, then in chapter 3, 1 through 3, we see him going to Nineveh after the fish swallowed him and vomited him up onto the land. It's amazing the Lord tells fish where to vomit. That's the extent of the Lord's sovereignty. But anyway... Uh, Jonah went to Nineveh and he said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now what did the Ninevites do? Did they persecute this poor prophet? Like the Jews did? No, they repented. And we know they repented. Christ says in the New Testament, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Well, let's look at 4, 1 through 3. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. God spared the city. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, O Jehovah, please take my life from me. He hated it so much he wanted, he still wanted to die. He wanted to die before he went to Nineveh, and he wanted to die after he went to Nineveh. That's how much he hated the Gentiles. They were all converted. Maybe not all of them, but as a whole, they were converted. Turn to Luke chapter 4. This attitude was still dominant during the time of Jesus. Beginning in verse 25. Luke 4.25 Jesus is giving a sermon on the Sabbath in a synagogue. He quotes Isaiah. And then He says, Today this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And then He says, But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath which is a Gentile country in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman who was a Gentile a Syrian when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they tried to kill him. That's how much they hated Gentiles still. Now, Paul says, or Peter says, these things they were ministering to us. And so we have foretaste of that here. 
it should be no surprise that the Jewish prophets were ministering to New Testament Gentiles. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 8 through 11, you'll see that those things that happened to the... You don't have to turn there. So what he's saying is those things that happened to the, to the uh, Israelites in the desert, that was for our learning. Now Paul is writing to Gentiles here. That was for our learning. And then in Romans 15, 4. Paul says that, um, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. All these things in the Old Testament were written for us. These Jewish prophets were our servants. And finally, we're going to close it out by looking at Luke 13. By the way, if you were a dispensationalist, you would have already walked out on me. Mm-hmm. 13.22. I, I will read this myself in the interest of time. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I will tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be cast out. And the people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline it table with the, in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is telling those listeners, those Jewish listeners of his, look, you're going to go to hell. You're going to go where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he says, but I tell you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, along with these prophets, are going to recline at the table in the kingdom of God. They're going to eat and drink and have fellowship with the Gentiles. These Jewish prophets and Jewish fathers are going to be eating and drinking with the Gentiles and you're going to be cast into hell. Such is the message of the prophets. Such is the message of Jesus. Such is the message of Peter. The prophets did not take it very well. But they will. They're going to. Alright, any questions or comments on anything? Really? Yeah. Uh, that passage in Luke 2 also is, uh, I think, a ringing endorsement of postmillennial eschatology. Um, I believe it was B.B. Warfield who, it was an article he wrote or a sermon he preached with that title, Are They Few That Be Saved? And many people assume that that uh, demands a negative answer, but as Jesus clearly says, it's just the opposite. There yeah. will be far more delivered and saved than what you think. So, uh, you know, read in the light of New Testament eschatology, this is a yeah. profound endorsement of a post-millennial victory of the gospel. 
I think. I agree. Anything else? Did we cover the last slide? No, we haven't finished. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll have a few things uh, next, hanging over for next week. And I'll ask Bud if you'll close us in prayer this morning.